Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Let me give you a little background on what we're going to read today. The New Testament book of Matthew, excuse me, is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Matthew was a Jew who became a tax collector. And when Jesus walked on the earth during the first century, tax collecting was seen as a dishonorable and corrupt profession. Palestine in those days was part of the Roman Empire. And in order to collect taxes, the Roman government hired local men as tax collectors. But one of the ways that they paid these men was by allowing them to keep anything that they could collect beyond the actual taxes. And so tax collectors often forced people to pay far more than they actually owed, and then they kept the excess. They were considered traitors by the average Jew because they were working for the hated Roman government that was occupying their country. So when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find harsh disdain for tax collectors. They were considered the worst of the worst. And so Matthew, the Jew who betrayed his people and became the detested tax collector, encountered Jesus and was never the same again. He became such a committed follower of Jesus that he ultimately gave his life for the sake of Christ. While there is some debate as to how he died, it's widely accepted that he was martyred either by sword or by being staked to the ground with a spear. So I want to begin today with the words of Matthew, the former tax collector turned Jesus follower who ultimately died because of his belief that Jesus was the Son of God. In chapter 16, we find a famous interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. The title of today's message is this, Jesus above all, who do you say I am? Let's pray one more time. God, thank you again for this day. I thank you that you're here. God, you're omnipresent. There's no place that you are not. But I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself in a special way. God, that the tangible presence of the living God would be felt all across this room. God, that there would be no doubt that you are real, that you are alive, and that you want to touch us. God, even those who may choose to not believe and, on their, and, 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 and walk out not changed, I pray that they would be so impacted that there would be no denial that you are alive and well. God, now with the words of the apostles as they prayed in the book of Acts, I say, enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In your name, amen. 
The question that Jesus asked the disciples that day is a question that we all have to answer. Who do you say that I am? Nearly every major religious movement considers Jesus to be an important religious figure. Every movement makes some effort to account for his existence and teaching. If nothing else, this should give us reason to pause and consider the life of Jesus seriously. Jews believe that Jesus was Mary's son, that he was a teacher or a rabbi, that he had many disciples. They believe that he was respected, that he performed miracles, that he claimed to be the Messiah, that he was crucified on the cross. And they also acknowledge that his followers reported that Jesus was raised from the dead. Early Jewish writings that were intended to discredit Jesus even acknowledge his greatness. Listen to this brief excerpt from the Toldot Yeshu. Quote, the insurgents with him replied that if Yeshu was the Messiah, he should give them a convincing sign. They therefore brought to him a lame man who had never walked. And Yeshu spoke over the man the letters of the ineffable name, and he was healed. Ineffable means too great or extreme to be expressed or described in words, or it means not to be uttered. Continuing with the quote. Thereupon they worshipped him as the Messiah, son of the highest. Yeshu spoke up. Madam, I am the Messiah, and I revive the dead. A dead body was brought in. He pronounced the letters of the ineffable name, and the corpse came to life. The queen was greatly moved and said, this is a true sign. The sages then came before the queen, complaining that Yeshu practiced sorcery and was leading everyone astray. He spoke the ineffable name over the birds of clay, and they flew into the air. He spoke the same letters over, the millst over a millstone that had been placed upon the water, and he sat on it, and it floated like a boat. And when they saw this, the people marveled. Again, that's from the Toldot Yeshu. The Toldot Yeshu is said to be a work of satire, a collection of stories and folklore that had circulated from the first century until finally being compiled into a literary work between the 6th and 9th century. The point is that even in satire, while embellishing the stories of the impossible, validity is given to the miraculous power of Jesus. Because had there been no miracles, there would be no satire. Muslims believe Jesus was born of a virgin, that he is to be revered and respected, was a prophet, a wise teacher who worked miracles, ascended to heaven, and will come again. Ahmadiyya Muslims believe Jesus may have been born of a virgin, was a prophet, a wise teacher, that he worked miracles and was crucified on a cross. Hindus believe Jesus was a holy man, a wise teacher, and is a God, one of many. Buddhists believe that Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. New Age believers maintain Jesus was a wise and moral teacher. And maybe you're wondering what this has to do with anything. Maybe you're saying, yeah, I already believe in Jesus. Why are we doing a religions class 101? On my desk is a blank piece of paper. And on it I wrote, Jesus above all. And so every day when I sit down, that statement is staring me right in the face. In full disclosure, it was originally a sketch of a graphic that we might use in the new facility. But more than that, it is my deepest, it is the deepest cry of my heart that Jesus would be lifted high. That Jesus would be above all. That Jesus would be first in my life, first in my family, and first in our church. That there would never be a moment when a person in our church becomes more famous than Jesus. 
In order to be, in order for Jesus to be above all, I have to answer the same question that Peter and the disciples had to answer. Who do you say that I am? For too long, we've made Christianity about Jesus serving us instead of us serving Jesus. I'm content with Jesus being my Savior, but I'm not interested in him being my Lord. In other words, Jesus, I want you to save me from hell, but I'm not willing to sacrifice my desires in order to carry out the mission of Christ. To use the words of author Ed Stetzer, many of us are Christian-ish more than actually Christian. Our desires, our worldview, the way we think and act and speak is more influenced by culture than by Scripture. I want to pause for a second and watch a quick video of just regular folk on the street being interviewed, asked the question, who is Jesus? He is arguably the most famous person in history. Over two billion people claim to follow him. That's one third of the world's population. He's represented in art and literature more than any other figure. Time magazine called him the most influential person who has ever lived. But who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Mm. Uh, uh, um, uh, I think... Uh, uh, I believe he was a person. Um, he is the Son of God. I don't believe Jesus ever really existed. Son of God? If I have to answer that question, I would say God. Uh, he plays on the wing for Chelsea. If you read the Bible, I, I don't think I could believe in all of that. Everything. <laughs> He can be any, but for me, he's everything. Who is Jesus? To be honest with you, I don't know. I'm not super religious or anything, so, I mean, he, I guess it's a savior or something. <laughs> Personally, I think that Jesus is probably a really cool dude who lived a long time ago and gave great advice to people, and it snowballed from there. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't. I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm. I'm pretty sure he existed, like I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and he, to me, is the, like, symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that, like, constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like, religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. There's so much more to Jesus and so much more to the church than you and I see in the world around us right now. I want to read a short quote from the book, Don't Hold Back by David Platt. I'd encourage everybody to pick this up. It's very challenging. 
He says, quote, the problem is not just an American dream that has been consumed, that has consumed our lives, but an, an American gospel that has hijacked our hearts. What do I mean by American gospel? For far too long, we've traded in the biblical gospel that exalts Jesus above everything in this world for an American gospel that prostitutes Jesus for the sake of comfort, power, politics, and prosperity in our country. The evidence is all around us. Instead of being eager to unite around the glory of Jesus, Christians are quick to divide over the idolatry of personal and political convictions. Instead of enjoying the multi-ethnic beauty Jesus has made possible for us in the church, Christians are still segregating by the color of our skin. Instead of sharing God's word like it's water for the thirst, for thirsty friends in a spiritual desert, we're wielding it like it's a weapon against our enemies in a culture war. As followers of the ruler of the universe, we're ignoring rampant injustice around us and we're so caught up in the cause to promote the greatness of our nation that we're essentially disregarding the command to take the gospel to all nations. In other words, so much of what we're experiencing in the church today, the discouragement, disillusionment, damage, and division is a direct outcome of accepting a false gospel in our hearts. If we would have the humility and courage to rediscover the true gospel, we could follow Jesus' lead into a different future. I know this is a heavy quote, and this content so far in and of itself is heavy. But if Jesus is going to be above all, then we have to answer some heavy questions. Many are experiencing doubt about the church and in some cases about Jesus himself. And if I'm honest, there have been times in my life that I have also experienced doubt. But the truth is that my moments of doubt have mostly come when God wasn't answering my prayers in the way that I wanted him to. When I was trying to superimpose my will instead of desiring God's will. We love to quote the Lord's Prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what I really mean is, God, let your will be done as long as it makes my life better. We're not the first to wrestle with these questions, and we certainly won't be the last. Let's read a little bit more from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19, over a few chapters, beginning in verse 16. Just then, a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones he inquired? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness or false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to the disciples, truly, I tell you, but it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, first, let me say that this is not an indictment against having wealth. Some would say that Jesus is saying you shouldn't be wealthy. And this is just simply not true. Jesus isn't against us having wealth, but he is opposed to wealth having us. Scripture is clear that we're blessed to be a blessing. And I believe that when we follow God's principles of managing money and generosity, it will set the stage for us to have more than enough financially. Now, beyond all of that, in American culture, even those who are, quote, 
low income would be considered rich in other parts of the world. And so when we read this passage of scripture, we're talking about principles, not specific amounts. Jesus is asking the rich young ruler what he's willing to give up in order to follow him. He's essentially saying, who do you say I am? Do you say that I'm God? Do you believe that I am the Messiah? In other words, are you willing to sacrifice your own desires to follow me? Or do you only want relationship with me in order to make your life better? Who do you say I am? How we view Jesus and what we think of him and his word and his teaching often varies from person to person. Frequently, it depends on who raised us, where we were raised. Depends on our life experiences. It's not abnormal for two people to experience the same event but have a different response. Anybody remember, remember this photo? No, nobody remembers this <laughs> In February 2015, there was a picture of a black and blue dress posted on Tumblr. And what ensued was complete chaos. The world came to a screeching halt while men, women, and children argued about what color the dress was. Was it blue and black? Was it gold and white? Was it something different altogether? What side did you guys fall on? Does anybody remember seeing this? Some people are shaking their head no. How many of you thought it was blue? How <laughs> I don't know. How many, of you th- how many of you thought it was white and gold when you saw it online? That's what you thought. The perception of the dress varied from person to person. It was later confirmed that the dress was indeed blue and black. Our perceptions of Jesus also vary from person to person. But what you think about Jesus is of way more significance than what you think about the color of a dress. Who do you say that I am? For some Jesus is just a historical figure. For some, Jesus was a prophet and nothing more. For others, Jesus was simply a good teacher. For some, Jesus was a man who claimed to be something that he wasn't. But to Peter, he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Going back to this interaction in Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is saying that everything is built on this revelation or this realization that he is the son of God. Everything rises and falls on this one thing. If he was just another rabbi or just another teacher, who cares? If he was just another prophet, who cares? If he was just another insurrectionist trying to overthrow a government, who cares? But if he was and is the son of the living God, then he's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my dedication. He's worthy of my life. There are people in this room who were former drug addicts or alcoholics, and to them, Jesus is a deliverer. There are people in this room who've been diagnosed with various sicknesses or diseases, and to them, Jesus is a healer. There are people in this room who have lost everything, and yet somehow they made it through, and to them, Jesus is a provider. 
There are people in this room who have, whose marriages were heading for divorce, but to them Jesus is a restorer. There are people in this room who are addicted and hopelessly bound to pornography, but to them Jesus is their freedom. Who do you say that I am? Now, these are all things that Jesus has done, and the temptation would be to only seek him for his blessings. But once you've experienced the true life-changing power of Jesus, you'll never be the same. You'll be Matthew, the tax collector, turned Jesus follower, never looking back. Psalms chapter 34, verse 8, David, the writer of the psalm, says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Jesus is good, not because of the physical blessings, not because of the healings, not because of the things that he so often gives me. He is good, and I choose to follow him because he took my place on a cross. It was me who should have been punished. It was me who was imperfect. It was me who was full of anger and bitterness and rage. It was me who was full of sin and darkness. It was me who deserved to die because of my sin. But Jesus, in his mercy and his grace and his goodness, he stepped in and he took my punishment. And he took my shame. And he took my perversity. And he took my anger. And he took my hurt. And he gave me another chance. He took off his bright, white, spotless robe of righteousness and he gave it to me. And now I don't want to live a Christian-ish life that is contingent upon Jesus giving me everything I ask for. As I've said many times, Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. I don't open my Bible and out pops Jesus ready to perform my every wish Instead, I open my Bible and I see what I would have been without him. And my prayer is that if he never does anything else, you've already done enough. If you never do anything else for me, I'll serve you. As the old saying goes, Jesus is either Lord of all or not at all. And so the question remains, who do you say that he is? Have you been guilty, as I have, of using Jesus? Have you served God but with contingencies? God, I'll serve you, but only if you do this or that. And then derailed when it doesn't come through the way that you thought that it should. It's been nicknamed, often called, jailhouse religion. Or someone goes through a crisis and they turn to Jesus in the middle of the crisis. But as soon as the crisis is over, then they walk away. This is not new. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. For millennia, the children of Israel would get, would get all messed up and they would be in captivity and the, their enemies would be just defeating them or they were forced into slavery or all the things that happened throughout the Old Testament and they would cry out to God and God would answer. There would be times of blessing and refreshing and all of the things and they would move forward and, was, and then they would just turn around and go the other way. We do the same thing. In the moment of need, we cry out to God because we don't know what else to do. And then the moment things, the moment things that begin, begin to correct themselves or God begins to correct those situations, we turn our back. Have you been guilty as I have of Americanizing the gospel, 
of serving materialism instead of following Jesus? Have you been guilty as I have of being like the rich young ruler? When Jesus asked you to give up something to follow him, you couldn't do it. You were so attached to that thing. You were so attached to that lifestyle. You were so attached to that relationship, so attached to that job. And like the rich young ruler, you went away sad because you were unable to let go of that one thing. Not realizing that the one thing that you thought would make you happy was only counterfeit happiness. But what Jesus offers us is so much better than temporary happiness. He offers us life-altering joy. I'm not saying that there won't be hard times. I'm not saying that you'll never experience loss or sickness or disease. I'm not saying that there won't be moments where the ends don't meet. I'm saying that a life of serving Jesus is the only way that I ever want to face any of those things. When Jesus asks me, who do you say I am? I, might, I want my response to be Jesus Above all, above all of my desires, above my family, above my wants, above this church, above my sickness, above my shame, above all of my needs. All means all. Jesus above all. Who do you say that he is? I know that statistically speaking, the majority of the people in this room have made a commitment to Jesus. You've already answered that question and you've said, yes, Jesus is above all. But if you're anything like me, sometimes I need a reminder to say, you know what, I'm getting things out of balance and out of order and Jesus needs, to, I need to bring him back to the center. As we're in the middle of this transition and about to move to this new facility, my prayer and my heart is just every day crying out to God that that would not become the end all be all. There'll be a tendency even to be like, oh, well, we're not in a temporary facility anymore or we're not this or we're not that. We can sit back and relax and I never want to relax because God has called us to reach people. And I don't want a facility to become above Jesus. And I think about my kids and my family and all that they mean to me and, and how hard it would be to be in a situation like Abraham and Isaac when God said, sacrifice your son. Thank God he doesn't ask us to do things like that today. But wondering, are there times that I put my children in front of my relationship with Jesus and having to correct course? Times that I put my relationship with my wife in front of my relationship with Jesus. The truth is, is that when my relationship with Jesus is first and foremost, all of those other relationships become better. My relationship with wife, my wife is better because Jesus is first in my life. I'm a better father when Jesus is first in my life. I'm a better pastor when Jesus is first in my life. I'm a better everything when Jesus is first in my life. 
And so we have to answer the question, who do you say I am? And I want you to ponder that question. I want you to wrestle with that question in your own heart. And if you've already surrendered your life to Jesus, then may this be a reminder. May it just be a, maybe it's like a check engine light today. You came here, the light came on, and it's just a reminder to just check things out. Maybe there's some low pressure in a tire. You just need to air a couple places up, a couple tires. You just need to get things. We need to change the oil. Maybe what, you know what I mean? Like all the analogies from the car, but I'm just saying like, maybe this is just a reminder for you. But there are others in the room that, I mean, I don't know everybody in here. There are others in the room that I don't know if you've made a decision to serve Jesus, if you've made him the Lord of your life. And he's asking you the same question that he asked the disciples. Who do you say I am? There's a famous quote, and I don't know who said it, but either it says that either Jesus was the son of God or he was a lunatic because he claimed to be the son of God. And there's really no in-between. There's really no, maybe he is, maybe he's not. Either he is or he's not. And if he is, he deserves everything we are. And if he's not, what are we doing? But I believe that he is. And I want to invite you to place your faith in the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Would you pray with me just for a moment as we begin to close? God, thank you for this day. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for history, God, that shows us who you are. God, I pray that the cry of my heart now and always would be Jesus above all. Not my desires, not my things, not nothing of me, God. God, that I would echo the prayer of John, that you would become greater and I would become less. God, just as we spent several weeks talking about that it was to be a, a constant emptying of myself so that I could be filled with more of you. That the fire of God would burn and consume everything that's not of you so that there would be more space so that I could, could, so that I could have more of you in me. And out of, out of me, more of you would flow into others. Thank you, God. If you're in the room today and you've not made a commitment to Jesus, you've not surrendered your life to him as the Lord of your life, I would be honored to pray with you. If that's you, you're sitting here and you know that you need to surrender to him, would you lift your hand so that I could see that? Maybe there are others who are in the room that are saying, you know what, I've, I've gotten some things out of order. I've gotten, my priorities have gotten out of, out of line and, and somehow I've not kept Jesus above all. And you're saying, you know what, today I want to reorder that and I want to re-surrender my life to God. I want to make him first in my life. Are there those in the room that would say that, that would want to lift their hand that I would pray for you? You would join me in saying, yeah, there are times... Amen. Would you stand on your feet, please, just for a moment?
Lewis and Ellen, would you join me and anybody on our team that's ready to go? I know we didn't talk about this before service, but would you guys join me in the front? And um, There's a lot of folks that raised your hand. I want to invite you, if you lifted your hand, say, you know what, I need to reprioritize my life and I need to put Jesus at the top. I want to invite you to come to the front. We're going to pray for you. I'm going to pray a general prayer of closing. I'm going to just ask that you quietly slip out if you need to go, get your kids, whatever you need to do. Maybe you want to just sit in this environment and pray for a moment or whatever. But those that lifted your hand, I want to invite you to take a step of faith and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to step out in faith. And I, I don't. You might feel something, you might not. It doesn't really matter. The scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by how we feel. So I'm going to ask you in a moment to step out of your seat, come to the front, and we're going to pray with you that God would meet you and you could begin to reorder your life so that Jesus could be above all. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for those that have sat here, God, and have heard your word. I pray, God, that we would all be challenged to ask ourselves that question, who do we say that you are? Who do we say that you are? Either God of all or God or not God at all. Lord of all or not Lord at all. God, help us to make that decision. God, to serve you with our whole heart and to stop, Lord, with the back and forth and the putting our own desires ahead of yours. God, I pray blessing on every person that's here, every person under the sound of my voice. God, people in this room, people watching online, people listening on the podcast. Thank you, God, for your presence. God, I pray blessing on these families as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you lifted your hand, I want to invite you to step out of your seat and come to the front. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.